Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Welcome back to the Mainland Podcast, everybody. It is episode number 90, and I am Michael Citro. I have not been red carded yet this week. I am the founder and managing editor of themainland.com, and joining me... Another guy who has not been red carded quite yet this week, David Rowe. Dave, how are you this week? I'm good, although I am sitting at the uh, the uh, the, lit, the the edge of yellows, so uh, I've got to be careful. Um, All right. You know, no, no reds as of yet, but uh, um, now uh, the the real quick before we get into everything um, today, as we were recording this, is my dad's birthday, so I wanted to give a shout out to him, say happy birthday to Lou. And because uh, he's a, one of our listeners, and uh, we thank him for for doing that. Well, look at you hijacking the uh, the show know, for, your, for your personal agenda right off the bat. <laughs> well, the man did the man did bring me into this world. I figure I owe him something. So his name is Lou, huh? Yes, Lou. So your dad and my dad have the same name, which is kind of odd. We're like Batman and Superman, something like that. We yeah. haven't had our big drag out fight though. And, you know, oh, that's true. Okay. Not quite yet. Yeah. You know, the uh, Lex Luthor hasn't pitted us against one another yet. I think we're losing some people. Well, that's okay. But because there was no Orlando City game this week, Dave, and there was no Orlando Pride game this weekend. So it was a oh. pretty quiet weekend from a perspective of Orlando City as a club. However, the uh, U.S. men's national team and U.S. women's national team were in action since we last spoke a couple of times. And in addition, the, uh, the lads from OCB took on the Rochester Rhinos and, uh, and got a 1-1 draw in that game. Well, and we do talk about, uh, you know, being fans of club and country. So, uh, you know, we're always happy uh, to, to cover uh, the U.S. national teams, be it men's, women, U23s, U20s, or whoever. So, um, you know, like you said, despite not having any uh, Orlando City or Orlando Pride uh, matches to watch, there was plenty of soccer to be had. Yeah, the international break is um, it's not something that we're used to in the past, having no club soccer, because in the past, you know, Orlando City hasn't always taken those uh, weekends off, and it's you know, kind of hurt the team at times, but uh, with call-ups. But actually, this year, uh, only a couple of Canadians getting some call-ups internationally. So it's not uh, it's not been it wouldn't have been as big a deal. Uh, obviously, you don't want to lose a Kyle Aaron and a Will Johnson, but it hasn't been as big a deal as it was in years past when you're losing several guys, including Kaká, for international 
uh, duty. You would, you know, in the past we've lost Kevin Molino and Breck Shea and and that. So a you know significant portion of the the team uh, of the team's offense. Not that Kyle Aaron's not a significant, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's uh, there were more guys uh, missing before uh, than there are now. Of course, uh, Darwin Saren also was uh, was missing uh, with his team. So you know, lots of of guys were going. It's I kind of like it not having as many not not having as many uh, internationals on the team, even though you know internationals tend to mean you have really good players. I'd rather have really good players that are not you know just not kind of on the fringes of their country's uh, you know national teams. That way, you know you've still got a heck of a lot of quality. And, and we actually do seem to have some of those on the fringe of national team uh, uh, quality players right now with uh, uh, Joe Bendick and and. Um, uh, Jonathan Spector getting uh, uh, called up to the the 40-man roster for Gold Cup, but we don't know if they'll make the 23-man roster. So uh, that's that's kind of what you're alluding to there. And you're right; it is nice because it means that they're they're good, but maybe they don't have enough political clout or whatever, and we get to keep them. Yeah, exactly. So hopefully, um, you know, we get to play a bunch of players that are like the the 24th man, if you will, on their team. You know that. Kind of- <laughs> So that'd be good because they're still really good players and, and they don't have to leave uh, leave us behind. They don't have to risk injury in international play. Like, uh, you know, this weekend's opponent um, for Orlando City, Montreal Impact, they lost Ambrose Oyango for the entire season when he was uh, injured uh, playing for Cameroon. So mm-hmm. uh, that's the kind of thing that can happen. And, of course, it's just part and parcel of life of an athlete that, could, that easily the same thing could happen training so um it's like when people say, oh, oh i don't want our guys to go to the all-star game i don't want them to play in the gold cup and that kind of thing they, they could get hurt well you know they could just as easily get hurt out at uh, sylvan lake um you know with christian Nagita, you know throwing his studs right in their foot on a tackle <laughs> <laughs> you never know what can happen um so yeah, we we last spoke uh, a week ago, and uh, that Wednesday night, uh, OCB took on the Rochester Rhinos, and it was one of those games where, uh, Dave, where the the you know the the visitors came in, they they stayed very compact, they were letting OCB have the ball, and uh, OCB wasn't able to break them down very often, but a very nice goal uh, for Haji Berry on a give and go kind of play, and, and uh, he was up for USL Goal of the Week. Uh, Rochester uh, did. Uh, also score in that game, and OCP wasn't able to uh, to find a second goal, and perhaps a little bit fortunate uh, not to give up uh, more goals at the end because uh, the right side of the defense really struggled for some reason. Uh, Scott Thompson and and Zach Carroll on the the left side of the back line were really really struggling down the stretch. Allowed several one v ones against uh, first time goalkeeper this year, Josh Saunders. So Josh uh, got his first game. Uh, with the lion crest uh, on his uh, left uh, chest, and uh, he he looked like a guy who was rusty on the one rhino's goal. <laughs> ball comes in on a, a fairly routine-looking cross, and it just looked like he misjudged it or something, and he, he spilled it, and it was an easy tap-in goal for Rochester to uh, to draw level shortly after Haji Berry had opened the scoring. So uh, that was unfortunate, but as bad as a howler, you know, as bad of a howler as that was for Saunders, uh, as rusty as he was, boy, he really looked good in the last 10 minutes of that game when the Rhinos continued to get behind the right side of that, uh, or the left side of the back line. You know, there's nothing like, uh, um, 
muffing one uh, to to make you uh, just pissed off enough to try that much harder the rest of the the game. And I think that maybe that maybe that was what it was. Um, like you said, he, that ball came in on the cross. He looked to be all over it, and it just uh, it just bounced out. I mean, his his hands were shaking. His chest stuck out too far. I don't know what it was, but. It came out, and that was an easy equalizer uh, uh, for Korea. But um, you know, I, I think then from then on, he he had it in his mind that okay, yeah, screwed up, but you know, I, I've got a job to do. I'm going to do it, and I think he did better. Uh, also on the uh, on the Haji Berry goal, um, that was a great run that he made in there on that give and go. I mean, it just you know coming across left to right and um, fast enough uh, and, and that ball getting out there and, and getting his foot on it, go around the keeper and just slot it home really nicely. Um, I thought that that was, uh, it was well-deserved to be up for, for goal of the week. Um, it was really nice. And, you know, it's a shame that it was two minutes later that uh, Rochester was able to come back and, and equalize because it, you know, takes a little of the wind out of the sails. You know, you, you, you go up and you're feeling good and, uh, and then two minutes later, uh, back to reality. Yeah, it really threw the brakes on for sure. Um, it, it, but, you know, you mentioned Josh Saunders and the way he responded. And to me, that's that's indicative of a veteran goalkeeper like he is. He's been around. He knows uh, he knows the game. He knows that uh, there are ups and downs in a game and ebbs and flows. And, and, you know, good mental toughness on his part to shake that off and, and play really, really well down the stretch and, mm-hmm. uh, and save his team, you know, at least a point in that game. I know... You know, you could look at it two ways. He cost his team two points, uh, but he also saved his team uh, a point. So, uh, you know, I guess on the whole, it was a wash uh, when you look at it. But it's funny because we get a lot of we get a lot of grief on our in our comments section on Twitter. Uh, people just ripping Seb Hines, and uh, Seb's side of the field was not the problem on uh, Wednesday <laughs> night. Uh, the, the down the stretch, it just seemed like really bad communication. Uh, between Thompson and Carroll, and, and I'm not sure uh, if that was uh, aggravated by the fact that, that the Rhinos were just making really intelligent runs and really well-threaded balls. But uh, however, whatever was the, the responsible um, you know, condition or conditions, it certainly was a lot of work for Josh Saunders to do down the stretch to uh, keep that a 1-1 game. Well, unfortunately, like I said, he did that. Speaking about Seb, I kind of feel like Seb could go out. He could have a game where uh, he he makes his way up the field, uh, gets a goal, gets an assist, also gets a save on the other end because, you know, the goalie's out of position and people would still be upset with him. Yeah, well, I mean, every team needs a scapegoat, I guess. And it's there's there's you know, there's irrational love and irrational hate for players on every team. And it's it's funny because I think. Everybody kind of looks fondly on Adrian Venter's time in Orlando, but he only scored five goals in his time here. And it's like, you know, you would think that he was this messiah uh, coming over here and just dominating. And he really had some games where he was invisible. Um, But, you know, he's one of those effort players who always looks like he's... He's uh, maybe doing more than he is, I guess. But he, I, not that I, I'm not trying to knock him because he certainly was a, a, a valuable player for Orlando City, and he was a, a, a guy who you respected the way he played the game. Uh, but mm-hmm. he, I think he gets a little bit probably more praise than he deserves, and I think Seb gets a lot more hate than he deserves because, uh, you know, we've talked about this ad nauseum um, 
you know, that the guy hasn't been healthy and he's mm-hmm. been, and he's been asked to play, uh, you know, with basically one and a half knees, <laughs> um, which you kind of need to in soccer. Cause it's, uh, it's a lot of running and jumping and that kind of thing. Um, but he definitely looks like he has a little bit more spring in his step. He's never going to be, you know, he's not going to run down Carlos Rivas by any stretch of the imagination, but he is certainly moving better uh, than we've seen him in an Orlando City uniform in these uh, few outings with OCB. And it's going to be interesting to see if he gets uh, a recall for the uh, U.S. Open Cup game tomorrow night because he doesn't require international slots. So you only get five international players in the uh, Open Cup. Five internationals can dress. Same international rules for uh, MLS in, in terms of they can be American or they can have a green card. Um but you only get five of them in the entire 18-man roster. So it will be interesting to see how Jason Christ uh, uses those. And certainly, you know, if he used a, a center back pairing of uh, Tommy Redding and Seb Hines, you'd have a two center backs without uh, using an international slot right there. Well, and, and of course, you know, Seb, like we've said, ad nauseum, you know, he's, he's healthier now. And he's experienced like you said, in, in, you know, versus Rochester, it wasn't his side of the field that was the problem. So, you know, when we go into U.S. Open Cup, and we're going to talk more about it later, you know, there's there's going to be a really wild mix of who's even going to be on the field. And um, if you've got, you know, somebody like Seb who is is steady, you know, especially when you're going up against somebody you don't play very often, Miami FC, um that that's you know a steadying presence, especially on the back line, can be it can make all the difference in the world. So mm-hmm. uh, I agree. I you know I hope that I hope that he's in the mix. I think that a, a Tommy Redding and Seb Hines you know center back combo would look pretty good, especially with with the way that uh, Tommy's been playing. So um, I don't. Know, it's going to be interesting to see what that uh, what that starting eleven looks like. Yeah, it's interesting because uh, Jason Christ said this week that he's. You know, despite the fact that it's a compressed schedule and basically two games a week for the you know foreseeable future, uh, as long as the team stays in the in the competition, uh, he said he's mainly going to lean on MLS guys and not use a lot of USL guys. Now I don't know if that means MLS guys with experience or MLS guys that have been on you know on the you know dressing for the games in, in the MLS this year, you know rather than uh, you know guys that are on loan. So. I think it's certainly an opportunity to take a look at guys like um, Haji Berry and and Richie Larea and Pierre Da Silva, and maybe you don't play all of them at the same time. Uh, but I think it's certainly an opportunity for for Jason Christ to see um, what he's got in competitive games at a, at a higher level and uh, see how they can produce because they've produced pretty well at the USL level. So. Uh, right. We'll talk again uh, about U.S. Open Cup more in a little bit, but just to wrap up OCB, it's nice to see uh, that the team. Is uh, is able to uh, get a point, and um, it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see if they can keep it going. Rochester is a, a quality team, so uh, very important to get that point. Um, anyway, uh, we can talk now uh, about the U.S. Men's National Team. I, I feel like the the women played a couple friendlies. We could we could touch on that a little bit, uh, not to short shrift the uh, the women's team. Uh, but those were friendlies. These were World Cup qualifiers, Dave. And, uh, you know, 
the U.S. was able to go out to uh, a couple of places uh, with some altitude and get a couple of results. Uh, first of all, getting the 2-0 win over Trinidad and Tobago, which was a little bit more difficult uh, than we expected, but uh, a couple mm-hmm. of goals from Christian Pulisic. And as he continues to really, really come on at a very young age and, and perform at the international level. So, um, you know, a, a clean sheet for Tim Howard, although uh, he was helped out by his woodwork a little bit. Um, but, uh, you know, Trinidad and Tobago had a couple of dangerous moments, um, potentially more or at least as many dangerous moments as Mexico had. Uh, but they were not able to get on the scoreboard. And uh, Christian uh, put in two, and uh, I think a deserved win uh, last week um, over Trinidad and Tobago. You know, uh, Christian getting that brace, uh, when when that happened, I, I saw the stats, and I, I know you've seen it too. Uh, after those two, the last eight goals up until that point scored by the United States all had him touching the ball, whether it was him scoring the goal or providing the assist. Yep. That last was, uh... eight goals. I mean, that's insane. Um, I could spend... I could I could easily spend a uh, uh, half an hour talking about you know uh, Pulisic's game, just you know bringing in the stuff from Bundesliga and, and Borussia Dortmund and uh, what he does with the national team. You know it would be really easy to talk a whole bunch about him. All I'm going to say is he's he's doing everything that's asked of him. He seems to be handling the pressure really well, and he's producing. Um, and I was actually when I was on my way home tonight. Uh, I called my dad because it was his birthday, and of course we ended up talking about soccer because that's what we do. And he, uh, his comment was, "Did you see what?" Uh, and I'm jumping ahead a little bit. He goes, "Did you see what Mexico did uh, to Christian?" He, you know, they were every time he touched the ball, they had two or three guys on him. Well, of course they did, because of what he did. You know, the previous eight goals that the U.S. had. I mean, you're gonna you're gonna get on that guy. And what's amazing for me is. Uh, he's not the the, the stereotypical uh, American player, big athlete, you know, uh, fast, big, whatever. I mean, he's he's wry, and yes, he's only 18, but I mean, you know, he's he's wiry and and quick, and he's got amazing vision. So, um, you know, kudos to him for that brace in that game. And uh, I, I, the other thing I I found kind of funny was uh, the look on Dempsey's face when uh, he was subbed off. Um, I thought he was going to smack uh, Rena upside the head for pulling him <laughs> out of the game because <laughs> yeah, he had scored a goal. Yeah, Clint Clint uh, left the game against Trinidad and Tobago. It didn't look real happy. Didn't have a great game though. He really wasn't playing all that uh, all that hot. I didn't think. And um, you know, it was it was time to make a move. Hey, the thing about Bruce Arena is he's not going to be pushed around by these veteran players. He's he's going to do it things his way. And and uh, mm-hmm. speaking of doing things his way. I think raised a lot of eyebrows with his uh, lineup and shape for uh, the game at the Azteca against Mexico. Uh, went with five across the back, something that you know was not something Chris, that uh, uh, that Jurgen Klinsmann uh, did well. Uh, but everybody knew their roles. They worked on it. It wasn't a surprise. Everybody knew what was going on. They mm-hmm. they seemed prepared. Uh, the game went exactly as they kind of had envisioned. And even though Mexico had a lot of the possession. They, there weren't a lot of really, truly dangerous chances for Mexico. They had a lot of trouble breaking down uh, the back line, and, and I thought mm-hmm. Jeff Cameron was phenomenal in that game. Yeah. And uh, early on, just a fantastic bit of uh, of uh, 
anticipation by Michael Bradley, and he steps up and he chips one from nearly midfield, and that was uh, just a, a crazy good goal to start the game uh, and get the Americans off on the right foot. Well, you and I could go off again on uh, the Michael Bradley haters and all that, which I'm not going to do. But, uh, you know, that was that goal was the goal of an experienced player. Uh, he knew uh, where he was. He knew, you know, he was he saw where the goalie was. He knew where the defenders were and he knew where he was geographically and out, you know, what altitude he was at. So that when he hit when he chips that it's going to carry because he's at seven thousand six hundred feet. Um and that was just it was a it was a smart play you know is it possible he misses that one sure absolutely but you know what i i it was a it was a purposeful uh shot i think he uh he absolutely knew exactly what he was doing and i think that if he had been someplace else he wouldn't have done it and he would have tried something different so um you know kudos to to bradley for you know making that goal and making it early i, I mean go back and there's videos online of when after he scores out of the uh, the outlaws just going nuts and it's it's fun to watch that video i mean you know i was jumping up and down when he scored it anyway and you go back you go back and watch that video and you get that you get that chill like Again, you know, from watching it. So um, really good. It, you know, anytime you play in Azteca, although, you know, the last couple of times that we've played Mexico, you know, we're we're doing pretty good. But anytime you play in Azteca, I mean, that's that's a hard uh, a hard uh, hill to climb. And, um, you know, that that was the quickest goal ever scored in Azteca. And it was only the sixth ever. Yeah, and, and it was a fantastic strike. I mean, I think you got to put that up there with the with the all time great strikes in, in U.S. men's national team history. So, um, yeah, you're right. I mean, there are a plenty of Michael Bradley haters, but if you look at it this way, all the things you like about Adrian Venter, he he hustles, he works his butt off, he does whatever's asked of him, he leaves it out all out on the field, he runs, he just never stops, his engine just keeps going. All of those things also describe Michael Bradley, although only he's a defensive midfielder, uh, not a not a, an attacking midfielder. So I think that um, you know he, he's he's been a little misunderstood, a little uh, you know maligned because uh, some of his past coaches have not played him in his best position or put him in a good uh, good spot to succeed and and use his strengths uh, properly. You know he's. He's been asked to be an attacking midfielder. He's not one. Yeah. I mean, it's no. like that's like asking Christian Nagita to play attacking midfield. It's just not, you know, it's going to look good in the back, but when you get to the final third, it's going to look pretty terrible, and mm-hmm. that's what it's looked like in the past. But for, as far as a guy who, you know, shields the back line, goes box to box, occasionally chips in with some, some timely offense, uh, I think Bradley has been everything that the U.S. has asked him uh, to be and and he nearly got the game winner hit the woodwork uh, later in the game so mm-hmm. uh, with another just an audacious uh, you know you just he just said I'm gonna test Ochoa and <laughs> and I'm gonna really <laughs> it, it worked the first time I really hit it and he, he you know I don't know if Ochoa had it covered if it had gone you know a couple inches to the left it may have uh, may have snuck by and gotten in for the winning goal so uh, a good game for him but for me Jeff Cameron was the man but getting a little ahead of myself. The uh, U.S. actually had a chance to go up 2-0. They got a box. Uh, they got the, the ball pinging around in the box, and mm-hmm. Bobby Wood swung at a ball that had uh, taken a hop. And if he had just made good contact with it, it's two nothing. Instead, yep. it comes out and starts the break, and uh, you know Vela scores and uh, Mexico ties the game. So uh, this a bit of un- you know just a bit of misfortune on that one. Uh, there were. 
you know, Mexico had a lot to do on that. You could you can point to a lot of some people have par, uh, pointed at Demarcus Beasley for not, um, you know, taking his man out wide and forcing him to cross in uh, to the strength of the defense. Um, there are, are people that are taking a Kellen Acosta uh, to task for a not only not fouling in the midfield, but also not uh, when he recovered, not closing down. Uh, in the middle when, when Vela cut inside of Beasley. So um, there's a little bit of uh, blame for him to go around. But I think just uh, all in all, you're, you're playing Mexico in Mexico. It's going to be very, very hard to keep a clean sheet. And uh, they weren't able to do that. And, and some have even blamed Guzan for not getting, you know, for being a little bit slow to react. I'm not sure how much a goalkeeper change would have uh, affected that. But uh, certainly, um, you know, people are not happy that it wasn't a win. But I think... You have to put into perspective that this is not about necessarily winning. It's about gaining points in the hex, moving up, distancing yourself from the bottom teams in the hex, and uh, qualifying for Russia. You know, we uh, we had two games. We've got uh, four points out of those two games. I'm ecstatic. Uh, you know, I did expect us to get, um, you know, three against Trinidad and Tobago, and we got that. Um I, you know, when, when we made our predictions last week, I was a little iffy on, you know, what we did with Mexico and to come out of there, you know, with a point uh, going into Azteca, I'm, I'm perfectly happy with that. I will take that every time we go to that stadium. No problem. All right. Well, we've got plenty more to bring you on this week's edition of the podcast, episode number 90. But why don't we get to our special guest and talk a little bit of U.S. Open Cup? We'll do that right after this. All right, joining us on the Mainland Podcast, we're very happy to have with us uh, former Orlando City and current Miami FC defender Brad Russin. Brad, uh, welcome to the podcast, and thanks for joining us. No problem. Thanks for having me. So I want to start out by asking you just a little bit about uh, since we last saw you here in Orlando, your uh, your career has taken a new path, and I, I just wanted you to, you know, I'm sure our listeners are interested uh, in you filling us in on, on what you've been up to and uh, how things are going for you. Yeah, I've been, uh, I mean, my whole career, I feel like I've been <laughs> a few places, but um, that's how soccer is, I guess, in the States. Um, yeah, so after Orlando, I went to uh, Tampa, and I know, unfortunately for you guys, it's not what you like to hear, <laughs> but uh, went to Tampa six months, uh, things didn't work out, so uh, I actually requested a trade, went to San Antonio, uh, did quite well. Um, had a great group of guys and after San Antonio it was a bit of a question mark in terms of the organization and what was going to happen with the team so I got a call from Miami FC and I decided to sign here for a few years and uh, I'm here right now and I'm enjoying myself and um, last year I was injured a bit so I had to get over that but I'm healthy now training well and uh, just looking for my chance. Well, we're uh, glad you're back in the Sunshine State anyway, so uh, at least there's that. Um, uh, you mentioned coming back from in, uh, injury. Um, uh, what, is your, uh, what is your game plan for, for getting back on the field, and, and uh, how do you see that playing out? Yeah, um, I mean, I always have the same mentality, um, whether it's getting back on the field or if I'm starting, and that's always training hard and giving my all. Um, Obviously, I'm a team uh, 
a good teammate. And uh, even in Orlando when I was here, I always pushed the guys that were in front of me and uh, always uh, being a positive influence in the team. And ultimately, um, to most benefit me, if the team wins, then, then I benefit. Um, whether I'm playing or I'm not playing, um, I have that mentality. So just to keep working hard and when my chance comes to be ready and, uh, and take my chance. Now, Brad, you were you were part of of the USL uh, side here, and, and just wanted to get your thoughts on on what you've seen uh, as, as a person who helped build this club into what it is now. Uh, you know, you did your part. So, I mean, how does it? How, how do you feel when you see what this city has done to embrace the club? And and you know, you got the new stadium and and an MLS squad here that's you know that's selling out the building regularly. Uh, you know, what are your overall thoughts on on being a part of that? Yeah, I mean, it was incredible. I think since since day one that I came to Orlando, um, obviously it was USL, but I didn't think that fans really it didn't matter to the fans, and that's that's very special in terms of they just like, they like soccer. They like football. And I think this city is, uh, it's pretty incredible. The, uh, the fan support that you guys have got, the stadium is beautiful. Um, just when I signed as well, that all that stuff was kind of coming out in the media with the stadium and the plans. And, um, yeah, it started early. You guys built it from the ground up and it's, uh, you can see the dividends today of, uh, have paid off and it's uh yeah it's going to be special to to go to the stadium and actually see it and kind of kind of know that i was a part of of building uh orlando city well and we do appreciate you know you being a part of of building that uh especially to you know where where they are now and uh uh of course like you said you're you're going to get a chance to go to the stadium um have you have you even been there as a you know just as a visit or anything yet have you seen it and and if not uh um how you think it's how you think it's going to feel yeah i mean i haven't been there but obviously i've watched many games and uh, talked to a lot of players that have played there um and obviously it's a special place you guys have uh you guys have built it as a uh as a home and not i don't think many people go there and uh get a win uh, so it's going to be uh, a tough game on Wednesday, and we're, we're looking forward to the challenge. Um, I'm looking forward to obviously seeing some familiar faces with the club and, um, yeah, just realizing that it's uh, going to be a special game for us, for me personally as well. So, Brad, there's a story about one of the goals that you scored while playing for Orlando City. You uh, you tapped in a ball that was headed in uh, <laughs> that Tyler Turner had shot. It would have been his first uh, professional goal. And uh, I was told that, you know, you were going to buy him dinner for that. Uh, did you ever get to buy Tyler dinner for that goal? I think I bought Tyler more than dinner. I'll, I'll put it that way. Uh, I took care of him. Um, him and uh, him and Harrison I took care of when I was there. So uh, those are two of, two of my good buddies. And there's a few guys that I still, you know, talk to quite often and now uh, we had a good group so well that's good well uh, speaking of a of you know a group you're uh, with miami fc now um how, how are things going you know like you said you moved around a little bit you've landed in miami you know you signed on for a few years um tell us about you know the the, the group down there um how, how the, the players are the fan base you know give us a little insight yeah, it's been uh, it's been very good. I think um, 
from a club perspective, I think we have a target on our back. Um, we're we're a big we're the biggest club I would say in NASL right now. Um, so it's uh it's an obligation for us to uh, to win, and uh, we've been doing that. Um, we're at the top of the table right now. Win a couple more games, and I think we win the spring season, which automatically puts us into the semifinal for to actually win the league. Um, guys have been have been great. Uh, we have a pretty experienced group. Um, so it's been, uh, it's been uh, a learning curve for the first year going into the second, but the second year, obviously this year has been a lot better. And, uh, I think our goal is obviously to, to do well in open cup and obviously win the league. So, uh, like I said, Wednesday is going to be an important game for us. You know, a lot of people I think in Orlando don't have a, a, a full grasp of, of the quality of play in the NASL. Uh, what kind of, of soccer uh, is played in that league? Uh, you know, obviously we're used to the to MLS and also to the USL, uh, but it is the second tier league. But you guys don't seem to be playing like a second tier team. Yeah, like I said, I think we have you know majority of the boys here have played uh, either overseas or have prior uh, experience in MLS. So, like I said, we have a very experienced team, and I think um, we're not far off from MLS, to be quite honest. Um, obviously, you have the Kakas and the Giovinkos and, you know, the difference makers in, in MLS. Um, but soccer's funny. I mean, whether you're in USL or MLS, I mean, you see in the Open Cup that anyone can beat anyone on any single day. So, um, like I said, uh, we're up for the challenge on Wednesday, and uh, it should be a, a good battle. Well, you know, we're uh, we're all too well aware of uh, how the uh, U.S. Open Cup can go for an MLS squad. But, um, uh, of course, you know, once a lion, always a lion. So we'll, even though you're with Miami F- FC, we're, we're still going to thank you as one of us, although just maybe a little, you know, uh, off uh, <laughs> on Wednesday night. Uh, but that, that being said... Um, um, how, how do you see it? How do you see it playing out tomorrow? I mean, do you, you know, not to put you on the spot, do you have any predictions? Do you, you, how are you feeling going into the, uh, the purple palace as Michael likes to call it? Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously I'm going to say we're going to, we're going to win, you know, but, uh, no, it's going to, like I said, it's going to be a good game. I know, uh, I think Kyle and, uh, Will, I think are gone for the game. So we're not really sure of obviously the formation or the lineups that, uh, Orlando is going to put out with them having an off weekend as well on the, this past weekend. So Look, we, we um, don't, we don't know that either. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it'll be interesting. Um, like I said, we're going to put our strongest squad out there. Um, and, uh, we have a lot to play for. So, uh, we have a lot to prove. And I think all the guys here are very confident, the coaching staff and, uh, everyone behind the club's confident we can get a result. So, you know, you're not you're you're not a, a stranger to this competition. What is it about um, this cup competition, this knockout sort of uh, structure? Uh, you know, how do you have to approach a tournament like this? Yeah, I mean, like I said, a USL team can be the you know MLS team on any on any night. Uh, MLS team has a bad night. USL team, you know. Uh, playing like it's the the world cup and they, they win um, or even lower, lower level teams beating, you know, an NASL team or a MLS team. But uh, ultimately I think it's, uh, we're going to go into it um, playing the way we know how to play and um, we're confident in that. So 
uh, other teams might change formations or change systems and stuff like that. Um, but we're going to play the way we know how to play and how we played uh, the last 10 games or so. And we've been uh, pretty successful doing that. So we're just going to stick to our plan and hope it all goes well. Well, you guys have obviously been playing well. Um, you know, you, like you said, you're, you're sitting up there at the top of the NASL. Um, uh, but I'd, I'd like to focus, you know, more on you, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about, you know, how you, you play with the, the same intensity, whether you're, you're on the bench or on the field. Um, other than, you know, let's, let's assume that you're able to work yourself back onto the field. Do you have any, any personal uh, goals that you're – and I don't mean goals as in scoring goals, but just, you know, how, how do you want the, the season to play out for you, you know, either Open Cup or just, you know, NASL? Yeah, I mean – no matter what, I want to be on the field. You know, it's, that's why we play the game. But uh, I'm understanding as well that you know, if guys are playing well in front of me and they're we're winning games, I'm I'm going to be a good teammate and push those guys. And like I said, it only benefits me that if we win, you know, the spring, we win the whole thing, we win the Open Cup. It's going to benefit me no matter what. If I play or if I don't play, um, ultimately I want to play. But uh, when I do get the chance, I mean, again, just be myself and enjoy the moment and. Um, do what I do what I've done my whole career which is you know just play be confident communicate and um, hopefully win what's it like to to play for a guy like Nesta I mean he's uh, he's well known in in world football and uh, he's a guy that obviously uh, demands a lot of respect what's what's it been like for uh, for you to be underneath him yeah I think for all of us it's kind of been a, a learning curve in terms of you know being a new team and um, 20-something odd players the first year and never playing with each other and it was his first year of coaching as well so ultimately he's learning uh, how we learned um, so his systems, his style of play um, has come to show that you know this year is, it's working out quite well um, he's obviously one of the best center backs to ever play the game so for me um, to come here and for him to want me in his team from day one was um something special and something that ultimately I don't think I could turn down. So I decided to come and it's been great so far. Brad, before we let you go, uh, just wanted to ask one more question. How do you think the long trip from Edmonton uh, will affect the team? Obviously uh, going from, from coast to coast is never ideal and uh, you know, quite a bit, uh, quite a ways North as well on this trip and, and coming straight to, to Orlando and, and staying in hotels and that kind of thing is that, is the travel it's, I know it's always a little bit of a grind when you're playing uh, multiple games in a week. Uh, but uh, do you expect, um, you know, do are, are you, you know, do you want the team to come out and, and try to get on top early? Is, is that going to be uh, something that is in your mindset, or is this, you know, just um, just another game? Yeah, um, for us, I think the club's done quite well to plan uh, to plan the travel and the accommodations. We've actually been uh, staying up in Orlando since Sunday. Um, we got in Sunday and have been resting for the last few days training. So uh, it won't be a last-minute drive up to Orlando in a four hour, uh, <laughs> get off the bus and play a game. So the club's taking it pretty serious, like I said, and, um, I don't think there's really any excuse. We've been, you know, for the most part, Nesta has been, uh, rotating guys where he's needed to. And, uh, I think for the most part, guys will all be fresh and ready to go. And obviously playing against an MLS side in a beautiful stadium. Um, hopefully the weather, uh, permits, 
and the fans come out, even if they're against us, I think it'll uh, it'll make us even better. So, like, like I said, I'm looking forward to Wednesday and hopefully getting a good result. All right. Well, Brad Russin, former Orlando City, current Miami FC center back. Uh, we we have, uh, you know, hashtag forever lion. But uh, if you get on the field uh, Wednesday night, we hope that you don't uh, punish us too much. Uh, thank, <laughs> thank, thanks so much for being with us on the podcast and uh, good luck to you the rest of the season. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. All right. Well, we want to thank Brad Russin for being with us. Uh, really appreciate him uh, being with us the night before a game. And uh, in a, you know, in a, in un, not not in a strange city or an unfamiliar city, but in uh, in the visiting city, as uh, mm-hmm. he is now an invader rather than uh, you know one of the home uh, hometown heroes. So, uh, Brad, we thank uh, thank you, and, and thanks to Christy from the Miami FC PR department for uh, setting that up. And um, we look forward to seeing what happens on the field in the U.S. Open Cup. And again, we'll talk a little bit more about that uh, in just a few minutes. Uh, right now, I want to go back to the uh, international break, Dave, and um, first of all, say that uh, as we record this, uh, Brazil beat Iceland today, and Marta had the only goal in a 1-0 uh, Brazilian victory. So congrats to Marta, and hopefully her and Monica and Camilla will all uh, make it back to Orlando really quickly so that they can be part of uh, the game this weekend, or actually, uh, they're flying, I guess they're playing at Houston, so I guess they're going to need to fly to Texas. Well, that was – is that a shorter trip or a longer – I guess it depends if they have to go through Atlanta or not, right? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure if they have direct flights or whatnot. I'm hoping that – hopefully the team uh, got them some uh, some direct flights, uh, and hopefully they're already on the plane or whatever. But, uh, you know, this is uh, – uh, international breaks are going to really affect the pride because uh, Australian nationals and – uh, Brazilian internationals and U.S. internationals, which are mostly hurt right now. Uh, but uh, speaking of the pride, uh, they stuck out some news today that uh, a little bit of an update on Alex Morgan. They're waiting for her uh, international transfer paperwork uh, to come back so that the, she can be official again. And also uh, her hamstring was looked at by uh, you know doctors at Orlando Health, and they say about a three to four week timetable for returning to the pitch. So uh, it will Hopefully not be too much longer before Alex and Marta are both playing uh, up top for Tom Sermani. Yeah, um, as, as good of news, I guess, as we can hope uh, regarding Alex, um, you know, we, we knew about the entry, uh, you know, obviously, you know, she went out when she was really on. Um, if it's, you know, three to four weeks um, and she seems to be in good spirits, according to her, her tweets. Uh, happy about being back in Orlando, and I'm sure she's she's ready to get back uh, on the pitch. But she's smart enough to to know that she's got to do what the doctors say. So uh, we can look forward to um, a early July uh, uh, return for Alex. Um, unfortunately, we don't have a July 4th game because then we could have a whole you know uh, welcome back to America thing. But uh, uh, Regardless, it will be it will be nice to have her back. And like you said, um, uh, and we've been saying it all all season is you know the the idea of, of her and Marta both up top is is just uh, fantastic. And 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 we only have a month to wait now, folks. Or not even that. So uh, so just hold on. Yeah, she could be back in the lineup. Um, 
could be as early as the first against Chicago, but probably more realistic to expect maybe on July 8th at the Washington Spirit. Uh, so that would be not only uh, at July, you know, on the July 4th week, but also in the nation's capital. So there you go. Um, oh, there we go. <laughs> uh, if she doesn't make it back for the 8th, then the next game would be the 15th against FC Kansas City here. Uh, in Orlando. Uh, but uh, welcome back to Alex. I was going to say welcome back to the captain, but she's not the captain this year. That would be Ashlyn Harris, and we can't wait to welcome her back from her injury. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so the U.S. women's national team went to Europe. They don't travel a lot for friendlies, but Dave, they went to uh, two pretty difficult places to play, Sweden and Norway. Two of, uh, I believe both those teams are in the top 15 in the world FIFA rankings. And uh, they got a pair of 1-0 victories, which is good. But they didn't play particularly well, which is bad. So I, I guess the thing is, if they go there and get shellacked, maybe Jill Ellis's hot seat gets a little hotter. Uh, but they won. They got results, uh, even though they didn't play particularly well. And also... Uh, they picked up a few more injuries. Uh, Rose Lavelle, who scored the only goal in the Sweden game, uh, did her hamstring in against Norway. And Mallory Pugh got hurt in the run-up to the Norway game. So uh, a couple of key injuries there for Jill Ellis uh, with uh, about a month to go before the uh, Tournament of Nations out in the West Coast with uh, with Australia and Brazil and uh, Japan. Yeah, I, you know, it's... Um... I guess we're going to have to see, you know, how how bad the injuries are. I, I hadn't looked, but um, it, anytime you can get results, even if it's in a friendly, you know, you're going to take it, especially because uh, it's the U.S. Women's National Team. They are one of – they are currently not the top women's team in the world. They are number two, but um, we're – you know, our expectation is that they are always going to be, be up at the top, um, which there was – a really good article that I linked in my Lion Links uh, this week where it talks about uh, if 91 hadn't happened, you know, things might have been way different. And I encourage you, if you didn't read that, go back and read it because it's a, a pretty interesting article. But regardless, um, you know, for me, Rose Lavelle continues to impress. Um, at the, while I was watching her during the uh, the Sweden game, um, what was going through my head was I was glad she didn't do that against the Pride when we played her recently. Mm-hmm. Um because uh, she is, um, ever since I've been watching her, she is she is something special uh, out there. Obviously, number one pick, and and um, it's I, I love watching her on the national team. I hate watching her play against the pride because uh, she's one of those that uh, is incredibly creative mm-hmm. um, and um, is she, she's kind of like uh, you know uh, uh, Pulisic in that. You know, young player, dynamic, creative, and when you know the ball is at their feet, you, you it's always a danger that something's going to happen. So, um, I, I, the future is very bright for her. Um, but it was, uh, you know, especially in that game versus Sweden, it was it was obvious that she was the one that was um, making things happen. Um, and, and then, oddly enough, just like uh, you know, Christian. The, the second game, um, you know, she was, for the most part, uh, you know, shut down. Not that she played bad, just that um, uh, the chances weren't there for her. So uh, it was kind of a weird mirror effect between the two of them um, uh, between the, the international games. Yeah, she is dynamic. She's a very creative player, like you said. The thing I like about both her and Christian Pulisic on the men's side is they 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 do so much with what they have in terms of 
they don't just always try to blow by you. They don't always try to outthink you. They sometimes just make quick little darting sudden stop and go motions and and, and they kind of just do what you don't expect them to do and that's how they they free themselves and i think that that's a trademark of what marta does in fact for for the orlando pride and what she's done for brazil throughout her career uh is that you know you just try to do that one thing that they don't think you're going to do or they don't figure you could pull off and and it just uh, it just puts you on another level so i, I think that uh, Rose Lavelle is good for the U.S. women's national team. She's certainly good for the Boston Breakers, and uh, I like you. I'm glad she didn't find the net in the recent <laughs> meeting with the Pride. So uh, the Pride got the better of her that day uh, with at least uh, what another another game or two uh, against them this year. So uh, so a couple of wins for Jill Ellis' squad, so we like that. Uh, we'd like to see a little bit um, better uh, team play didn't get a whole lot of scoring chances. And when they did get scoring chances, they weren't hitting the target with their shots a lot. And that can happen on the road. You get tired legs. You've been staying in hotels and, and you're not quite yourself. You know, the things aren't, uh, the way they normally are. So it's, uh, you know, it's unfortunate, but, uh, I think one thing we did find out is that, um, Jill Ellis still needs a right back. I think Kelly O'Hara was just a stopgap measure. I don't think there's a really true, right back other than Allie Krieger in the U.S. women's national team pool right now that is playing at a high, high level as a right back. So I think that, you know, Allie, will, it, it's a little too early to see. Maybe Allie will get a call up for this tournament uh, coming up, or maybe Jill will continue to try to plug in somebody there in that role to uh, to move forward in the next World Cup cycle because Allie's not getting any younger. But uh, we certainly would like to see Allie continue to play for the U.S. women as long as, you know, she's playing at a high level like she is. Absolutely. And, you know, um, obviously we all think that uh, Allie is, is probably – uh, and not even probably is one of the best uh, at that position. You know, uh, Jill Ellis maybe you know trying to build for the future and and uh, see what else she has out there. You know, especially because you know we're talking about friendlies. Um, you know, it's entirely possible that uh, Ali will get the call up. Um, you, we talked about the 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 Sweden match. I wanted to mention um, the the game against Norway, and um, we were actually uh, talking you know internally uh, on our forum and. Um, you know, you had mentioned that uh, to to my question, or it wasn't a question, it was my observa- observation that uh, I was like, uh, I felt like we should be uh, getting some more chances, and and you know, you made a really great point of, look, they're in a different shape. We've got injured players out. They're on the road, and Norway is a good team, um, and all of that was true. We fortunately uh, in the 60th minute, uh, Kirsten Press was able to break through off of a great uh a long ball and uh and put it in as she is wont to do upon occasion mm-hmm. um what was funny is that it, i went back and looked at that today and um i, I believe that um it lavelle would went up to try and head the ball and and it just barely missed her and was able to fall uh to the ground in in front of a streaking press so that she could uh she could put it in the back of the net and and secure the win but uh um you know that was that kind of counterattack seemed to be uh, uh, what was uh, their best chance in that game against Norway. Well, great ball from Becky Sauerbrunn and uh, got in behind the defense. And Kristen Press did what she does best, and that is uh, find the seam between the defenders and get into it before they know what's happening. She did a great job of that, and she did a good job of finishing. and And uh, it's something that we want to see more of from Kristen Press because she's obviously uh, very um, 
valued in that in that national team setup, uh, you know, as a as the you know the successor to Alex Morgan, if you will, at the at the striker position. Um, she's certainly capable of that. She shows that week in and week out in the NWSL. And, uh, you know, to have a, a Kristen Press working, you know, operating at a high level with a Crystal Dunn and a Mallory Pugh, um, the future is pretty bright uh, when mm-hmm. you have those three young players, uh, you know, playing well. So, so you know, you're going to have Alex Morgan for the, for the you know, the next few years, and then probably she'll start to, to fade out of the national program a bit. And, uh, and then you're going to see that next wave. And that's it's kind of the exciting thing about being a soccer fan is, you know, the the shelf life of soccer players is not terribly long. So you're always looking for those next young players coming up through the system. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's, uh, it's pretty exciting. Um, especially, you know, on the women's side, like you say, you know, between Pew and, and Lavelle, and I, uh, there's so many that, um, uh, and, and, and I attribute that a lot of that to the, the success of the, the women's team, you know, going back 20 years, um, They've been raised in a culture, at least on the women's side, of U.S. women's soccer is the best uh, in the world or is always among the best in the world. And as such, they expect to play at a high level. And um, it's there's a ton of young women that are are playing the game and the, you know, the women's college ranks are swelled with good players, and I, it's a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy in that um, we we have a very large country with a lot of people, and this is an opportunity for these uh, young women, and they are seizing it, and they are doing the practice. They are, you know, we joke about soccer moms, but you know uh, that does happen every freaking weekend in this country, and it's it's. it's paying off for the women's side obviously sooner than than you know the men's side i mean that's now coming along also what's funny is when i was in england back in uh the early 90s and i think it was right before uh the women won the world cup uh you know i was with a bunch of brits and they were telling them you know u.s soccer is you know pointless you know you guys should just get out give up and i said u.s soccer is going to win the world cup in the next 10 years now I was right. I was wrong about the gender, but I was right. <laughs> well, you know, um, haters going to hate. Uh, we would be remiss talking about the U.S. national team uh, if we didn't mention the U23 women who went to the Nordic tournament and uh, they ended up going unbeaten uh, and in a first place tie with England. But England won the tournament on goal differential uh, the two teams met and drew nil-nil, but England finished uh, at a plus six and uh, the U.S. at plus four in goal differential. So England gets the tournament title, but Danny Weatherholt, the uh, the pride midfielder, she started uh, the game against Sweden at least. I don't, I, I didn't get to see if she had played in the other games, but I do know that uh, it was a, uh, you know, a good trip for her and a good trip for the U.S. U23s, and uh, and they did very well. And just unfortunately, England was able to get a couple more goals against those other opponents uh, than uh, or and give up fewer than uh, than the uh, U.S. U23s. So good job for uh, Danny Weatherholt, and she'll come back with a little bit more confidence too after uh, playing like that against some really top competition. And, and it couldn't be a better, uh, uh, you know, reemphasis 
re-emphasis of my point in that, uh, you know, talking about the, the youth players playing at the top of the game. Well, there you go. Under 23s go in. All they lost on was goal differential. And, uh, you know, they, they took England to the, the, the winner to a, uh, to a draw. So, um, you can't ask any more from that. Uh, obviously we're really proud of Danny and, um, I, I agree. She's, you know, anytime you can get out and, and play, uh, international competition, you know, step outside of, of your normal box. That's, that's only going to help your play when you come back to the club. All right. And so the pride will be in action on Saturday night at eight thirty PM Eastern time at Houston dash. Uh, I unfortunately, I don't know if I'm going to get to see that game. They're, they're starting an hour after the uh, Orlando city game begins, but I won't be at the Orlando city game either, Dave, cause I'm going to be visiting relatives in our wife's relatives in Nevada. So I will be in Las Vegas, but my, my Las Vegas vacations are much different than most people's <laughs> as I am visiting my mother-in-law's house. Uh, but, um, you know, I'll try to have a little bit of fun while I'm out there, but I hate being gone in the middle of the season uh, with so much going on. Orlando City's going to be at home. I'm going to miss the U.S. Open Cup game because I'll be actually on the plane during that game on the flight out there. Um, and uh, so the pride will take on Houston and uh, hopefully again we'll have uh, the, the Brazilian contingent uh, back in time to play in that game because the pride's been really coming on of late and a chance to, to gain some points uh, with back-to-back games against the Houston dash uh, at Houston on the 17th uh, this weekend and home against Houston on the 24th. Um, OCB will be actually, as this thing drops at 1130 AM on Wednesday, the 14th, it's a half an hour before OCB takes on Toronto FC two. And that's not uh, a mistake by me. That is actually a noon start time uh, for OCB at Toronto FC two. There's a, a thing called uh, school day games going on in Canada. And so the next two games, uh, both uh, the 14th at Toronto and on uh, Tuesday, the 20th at Ottawa, uh, those are uh, daytime starts because they're trying to get a bunch of school kids out to games and uh, teach them about uh, physical fitness and staying in shape and and uh, also teaching them about the game of soccer. So kind of a good thing that OCB is a part of, uh, but it's a little bit uh, difficult uh, to to cover midday games while everybody's at work. Um, and it's a little difficult to see. So, you know, if you have one of those understanding bosses, you can stream those games and, and watch them while you're at work. You know, I, uh, I, I love the idea of the school day game. Um, it's obviously it's good for the kids. Um, they've been doing it for years up there uh, in Canada with hockey. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, of course, uh, they're, they're doing it with uh, soccer as well. And it's it's. Uh, the kids get out, they get to see the physical fitness. They get to that. They get to get out of school. So they're happy. Um, but at the same time, they get to go enjoy, you know, something really cool, something that we would, uh, you know, I don't know about you, but I know when I was younger, uh, I occasionally, my dad took me out of school and, you know, to go see a baseball game or something like that. So it, it, it's, I, I don't think, I think it actually furthers an education rather than hinders it. And I, I, I applaud, uh, you know, the Canadian school system for implementing it and doing it. Um, it'll be, uh, like you said, noon game. Okay. Kind of cool. Uh, I will actually be able to watch that game. Um, assuming I can find it online and, uh, uh, and that my stream doesn't get interrupted for some reason, but, um, uh, but yeah, it, it's, it's, it's a really good thing that that's, uh, that that's even a thing that they're doing. So, um, I, I think one of the interesting things, uh, and we kind of we touched on it when we were talking about the the Open Cup, is what does that mean for the lineup? 
for OCB because who's going up? Who's mm-hmm. you know coming down? Who's who's playing uh, in the uh, U.S. Open Cup? Who's going to be playing for OCB? I, we have no idea. I mean, who knows who's going to be out there? I mean, okay, OCB, we never know exactly who's going to be out there, but I think it's even wilder this week. Yeah, well, we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. I think before we get into the U.S. Open Cup, uh, conversation before we get into the Orlando City at Montreal this weekend conversation, uh, we'll talk. We'll take uh, I think a, a little bit of a look at our uh, mailbag this week, and you can always ask your questions. Don't even have to be about soccer. Uh, hit us up on Twitter. Uh, you can use the hashtag #AskTMLPC. That stands for the Mainland Podcast. If you if you want to know what the, that's all about, but uh, yeah, hashtag #AskTMLPC, or you can email us. Uh, email the mainland at gmail.com and that's uh, main m-a-n-e not m-a-i-n so please make sure you spell that correctly and include the at the beginning or we won't get it and then we won't have any idea uh so dave we got some mail this week as we did last week so it's nice to see Mm -hmm. people are kind of climbing on board with this ask tml pc thing uh john hart wants to know with no chirinos red I know he's not available for Saturday, but he is is he an option for Wednesday, the U.S. Open Cup? John, I think uh, – thanks for your question, first of all. Yes, I think uh, Antonio Nocherino is a possibility. Uh, there are two things working against Antonio Nocherino for inclusion on Wednesday. Uh, the, the one thing that works in his favor is that he's not going to be able to play Saturday because of the red card he picked up against Chicago. Uh, but the two things that are against him is, uh, number one, he's been kind of nursing a little bit of a calf injury this year and not sure if Jason Christ will want to risk him uh, knowing that the, he's got a very busy schedule coming up. The other thing we've touched on it a little bit, five international players you get to use. And, and Antonio Notorino is, of course, uh, an Italian and uh, doesn't have a green card, so he would count against the five. Uh, and I, so that that means he may not uh, utilize uh, the Italian defensive midfielder in this game. But he might. He might actually do that. So. It would make a lot of sense, uh, you know, from a, a injury and healing standpoint, since he, he's not going to be able to be available on Saturday to go ahead and hold him out. But, you know, that might be one of those, uh, you know, he comes in as a sub later on in the game if if uh, Jason decides that he, he does indeed want to win and, and he thinks that uh, Notorino can help him out. And, he, you know, he doesn't get a ton of minutes, but maybe he's able to to do something or if, or if the defensive shape needs some help. Um, so, who knows? Uh, you know, that's. It's kind of what I was just saying. Who knows what's going to happen with the lineups? We don't know. You never know what's going to happen. Uh, Elder Gorilla asked a bunch of questions. Uh, okay. So we thank thank you, Elder Gorilla, for <laughs> I love that screen name uh, for all the questions. First of all, uh, should MLS raise the salary caps to attract superstar players, or are the asking prices ridiculous? What do you think, uh, Dave? Um. Yeah. <laughs> I think it doesn't matter if they raise the salary caps or not. Uh, well, I mean, it does, obviously. But uh, I don't know that you're going to get the, the top, top, top guys in the world, regardless, um, you know, if you were raised the salary cap. Um, it's a – unfortunately, or it, it, it is a – the guys are coming here. You know, the top guys in the world are coming here a little bit later in their careers. Okay, we know that. I, eventually, that might change. I think it's going to have to be a um, – bottom up change not a top down so i don't think you can start by bringing in the top guys and 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 change it that way i think you're going to have to start at the bottom and and create more quality um at the base of the pyramid rather than at the top of pyramid so um 
you know, could they? Sure. Would it make a difference? I, I don't. I don't think it would. For me, it's about growing the game. I think the team, the, the league, has done a good job of being cautious and making sure that the league survives because uh, soccer has had a tr- had trouble, you know, professionally grabbing a toehold in this country. But I think it's entering an age of of real acceptance in this country and it's, and it's real growth. We're seeing that with the the teams that are fighting to get into MLS. You know, the expansion. Uh, battles that we're seeing and and obviously the incredible expansion of the USL and teams, you know, trying to get into USL if they can't get into MLS or using USL to get into MLS. So the the league's doing everything it should be doing to grow it in the right way. The only way you're really going to get the top players in the world is if you do away with salary caps completely and just let people pay what they want for players because that's really how you can, you know, you're going to get the top players by paying the top dollar. Uh, but it's beyond that because it's, you know, if it were just that simple, all the good players would be in China right now because right. China, the Chinese league has been, you know, throwing away, you know, throwing around ridiculous money for, you know, players that are not even in their prime anymore. Uh, like guys like Carlos Tevez, who would probably come and destroy MLS, but he's not, you know, top of the top of the, in top of his game anymore, like for a top European team. Uh, but he got, you know, crazy money to go over there. So it's not just about throwing money. You really got to make this a destination for soccer, the way that England and Germany and Italy and Spain are, you know, those are perceived to be the top leagues, not just because they have tons of money, but because also they have, you know, the, you know, that is their country's sport. They, they, they have an incredible passion for it. And I think if, if soccer gets, you know, near that level in this country, then I think, you know, you can take the, the, the training wheels off, the, off of MLS and, and do away with salary caps and let teams compete for players. The, the other thing that you have, you have to remember is that you still got this kind of a, you're kind of handcuffed by the single entity rule. So mm-hmm. like if you've got a team in Orlando and a team in Los Angeles, that both want a player, they're bidding against each other, and it's technically the same organization, you know, bidding against itself. Right. Uh, so there's a little bit more nuance to it, and there's a we could probably do a whole entire podcast on that. Maybe we'll do that in the off season. Uh, but <laughs> we definitely we appreciate the question, Elder Gorilla. We're going to stay with your questions here because there's a few of them. Dave, if you uh, can have any of the old players for Orlando City. Would you trade anyone currently to get them back? For example, uh, he uh, you know says Aurelian Collin for Seb Hines is the example uh, given. <laughs> any ex uh, any ex Orlando City players you would like to have back? Uh, uh, um, would you trade anyone currently on the team to get them back? Well, see now that's that there that's the key is what I you know are there guys that I would like to have back? Sure, I mean we we mentioned you know uh, Venter. Okay, no, he wasn't the most productive, but dang it, if he wasn't a spark plug, and I'd love to just have his energy back. Would I trade anybody for him? No, I, uh, I don't know that I would. I, you know, I think, uh, and, and the reason I say that, I think uh, Coach has done a real good job, and we've talked about this many times, of, of uh, the acquisitions that he's made and, and, and building the team up. And I think, um, you know, right now, uh, and I'm not saying there's not room for improvement, but just that uh, um, so many of the players you've brought in have been – uh, have improved Orlando City that um, uh, actually I take it back there's 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 I don't know who I would trade for him but I, I would love to have Molino back 
Yeah, I, I would trade. We're very, very – I think we're very deep at defensive midfield and fullback, so I would trade Tony Rocha to get Kevin Molino back. Do you think Minnesota yeah. would take that trade? You know, we could float it. <laughs> and that's nothing against Tony. He's been on our, our show. We like Tony. Uh, but, uh, you know, to have Kevin back would be awesome because he's the original. Uh, he is the original. And uh, also, he fills an incredible need with this team, which is a, <laughs> a creative attacking midfielder when Kaká's out. So, uh, yes. yeah, it would be good to have him back. Um, Elder Gorilla says, seeing as Open Cup is on the way, uh, should... Orlando City focus on that or just MLS Cup only and then worry about, uh, you know, the path to uh, Concrete Half Champions League after uh, securing that cup? Ooh, um, you know, you have to you have to do both, Um, you know, you and I think uh, Coach Christ is going to do exactly that. He's he's going to. He's going to maximize his potential to win all the games, and that may mean, um, you know, playing players that normally wouldn't be out on an MLS game, um, bringing up players from OCB. But um, I, I think he's going to position Orlando City to have the best possible chance of winning both Open Cup while not sacrificing the MLS season. Uh, it's a tightrope to walk, um, but it, it, it's certainly what I would do, and I, it's certainly what I expect him to do. You know, do you sacrifice one for the other? Uh, if you were going to, yeah, you sacrifice Open Cup for for MLS because uh, obviously that's you know the the main thing that we're playing in. But I, I don't see that happening. Well, here's the thing. I, I'm glad that Elder Gorilla brought this question to us because this has been a thing on our on our message board, you know, our, our comment yeah. sections and stuff. People, I've seen them saying that Orlando City should just tank the Open Cup and rest up and 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 just concentrate on MLS and getting to the playoffs and that kind of thing. And I don't ever want my team to ever throw a game or not take a champ, you know, take a, a challenge seriously or, you know or throw away a chance to win a trophy. The team that I started following here in Orlando was an ambitious team that wanted to win every competition it was in, wanted to win every trophy and be the best it could be. That's the team I fell in love with. And that's the ambition I want to see from this team. I don't ever want to see a team say, yeah, we're not going to try because we we're, we've got this other thing going on. I think this team is finally uh, a team with sufficient depth that it can rotate the squad, keep everybody relatively fresh and compete for a team or compete for the title and it's a path to champions league you need what four or five wins you need four or five wins to get to the champions league why not go for it because it's so hard to get to champions league otherwise because you got to win supporter shield or mls cup you got to win your conference Mm -hmm. that's not easy to do this is a this is an easier path to, to go after. And that's why you see teams in MLS that are not having good seasons throw so much uh, emphasis on it because they know that's the only way they can get to Champions League. So uh, I say yes. And, you know, there's there are people that don't care about CONCACAF Champions League, which I get that. But, I mean, you ask them about their European team and they, they probably want them to make Champions League. So I don't see why it's any different just because we're on a different continent. Uh, it's absolutely absolutely no different i can't tell you how excited i was when liverpool uh uh made champions league i mean it was huge for me i mean did they win uh the epl no they didn't but you know what 
I, at the end, as it's come down, I'm like, uh, come on, let's win this. Let's get the Champions League. It was important. Uh, and it, it's the same here, like you say. I mean, CONCACAF uh, Champions League. I, why, why wouldn't you want to be in that? It's great because here's the thing. And Phil Rollins has talked about this before, and I actually have talked to him about this uh, before. It's, uh, you know, if you win, you get into Champions League, get into CONCACAF Champions League. If you win that, you go to the FIFA Club World Cup. And then you're playing against, like, Barcelona. And who, yeah. would, who wouldn't want to see their team play a competitive game against Barcelona? So, you know, I, I think it's an awesome thing. I mean, it's, it, you know, I think people sell the U.S. Open Cup short. It doesn't have the name recognition. It's not doesn't seem to have the prestige of an FA Cup. But it is the oldest competition, uh, soccer competition, in this country. And yes, it is. I, I know that Jason Christ has, has taken it seriously in the past. He's reached a final uh, where his team lost one nil to uh, DC United a few years back, but uh, he's made it. He's made that run. He takes this seriously, but he's also going to approach it in a smart way. And I, I think that there's no reason the team can't field a very competitive cup team uh, and still maintain its integrity for the, uh, the, the MLS uh, grind as well. So thank you for the question, Elder Grill. I really appreciate that one because that's been a, a very big topic of debate, and I'm really tired of people saying we should just tank it because nothing sticks in my craw more than just throwing a competition for no reason. Uh, we're in this thing. If you're going to do that, just don't enter. You know, just say, you know, sorry, we don't want to be in the U.S. Open Cup. Yeah, right. Um, you know, don't waste everybody's time. Uh, another question from Elder Gorilla. Bradley got lucky to score on a chip versus Mexico. Luck tends to run out for uh, the U.S. How far is the U.S. going in World Cup? I say first round. First of all, let me say that Bradley did not get lucky. That was a great piece of skill. Uh, right. It was it was bold, and it was also very calculated. He looked up, saw where Ochoa was, thought he could make it, made the shot, and hit it perfectly, and it went in. That's skill. That's not luck. There's, I mean, if you're going to – you could say there's luck involved, but there's luck involved in any goal if you're going to say that, you know, because you could slip in the grass, and then you don't hit your shot well, even if the, Nate, you know, if, even if the net is wide open in front of you. So, um, you know, David Villa did it on a penalty kick against us last year. <laughs> so, uh, you know, yeah, you I, can, I wouldn't you can say hit the, You can hit the woodwork. I mean, there's so, there's so many things that can happen. Yeah. Uh, how far can the U.S. go in the World Cup? Well, first of all, they got to get qualified, which I think they will do. Then they got to get out of their group. Mark it down now. We're going to be in the group of death. We're always in the group of death. So I would say uh, surviving the group of death and getting to the quarterfinals is probably a good goal for, for the United States. I think they can do that. Anything beyond that is just a, a very special year. Absolutely. Um, yes, we will be in the group of death. We are always in the group of death. I'm sick of being in the group of death, but we are always in the group <laughs> of death. Inevitably, we're in the group of death. And I, it's if, if we are in the group of death again, I'm going to start, you know, you know me and conspiracy theories. I don't like to believe in them. But anyway, um, I, but I'll agree with you. I think that um, I think that Bruce has got these guys uh, believing and playing for each other. And um, I, I think we. I think we will be able to get out of the group of death. Um, you, you get to the next round. After that, I, I'm right on board with you. I, after that, I just don't know. It, it's all going to depend. You, you know, you're talking about tournaments, so it all depends on who mm -hmm. else comes out of elsewhere and who you end up playing. Yeah. 
Uh, last question from Elder Gorilla is uh, somebody posted on Facebook that with Atlanta in the Open Cup, we could play them three times. It smells of a rivalry in the making, you think? And I don't even think it matters if uh, Orlando City plays Atlanta in the Open Cup or not. I think just the proximity of the two cities, I think that the there's already quite a bit of animosity between the two fan bases. I think that it's just going to absolutely become a Southeast U.S. rivalry uh, between these two teams, and that will grow into uh, possibly a cup of some type, uh, or, you know, like the, you know, you've got the Cascadia Cup up in the the Pacific Northwest. Between those three teams, I think if if Miami or Tampa gets in, I think you might see some kind of a similar competition between the, the teams down here in the in the southeast uh, part of the U.S. So, yeah, I think that's going to be a thing regardless of whether they play an Open Cup, but that could even, um, you know, make it even more of a rivalry, perhaps. It's already a thing. When when the team was announced, one of the people, one of, one of my fellow Tallahassee outlaws, who is a really good friend of mine, we immediately started arguing about who was better, Orlando or Atlanta, and they didn't even have a team yet. So, yes, <laughs> of course it's a rivalry. Of course it's going to be uh, mm-hmm. just you know like you said geographically absolutely um we definitely need to have some sort of of, of cup or award or derby or something that goes around that and i don't know what it looks like i'm sure somebody smarter than me will figure it out but um yes uh and uh, I, it's one of those ones where yeah i you know i'm i've got it marked on the calendar i mean granted i've got all the games marked on my calendar but got that one asterisk so that I know when we play Atlanta, mm-hmm. it's going to be uh, it's going to be fun. Uh, there's no question they're they're going to be a difficult team to beat because they they put a lot of pressure on you and um, you know it's a good thing that Jason Christ has revamped the defense because they're they're a team that comes at you and comes at you and comes at you and they they are very dynamic in the attack. On the other hand, you can get at their defense. So if you can possess the ball, keep it away from them a little bit you can get at them and, and score goals on them. So that's, that's as New York City found out, though, they can hit you quickly and repeatedly. So you've, you've really got to not fall asleep because by the time you wake back up, you might be down two or three goals. So um, it, it'll be fun uh, when we get the Atlanta thing going. I'm surprised that, that MLS made us wait so deep into the season for those uh, teams to meet. But um, uh, I think maybe in futures, future seasons, Rather than opening with ML, uh, New York City, I think maybe it'll be Atlanta that uh, the team opens up against. So uh, thank you for your questions, Elder Gorilla, with the great screen name on Twitter. Uh, Dave, did anybody send you any questions this week? They did. Uh, um, Mark Johnson asks, uh, what are our chances of doing well in the Open Cup while missing some of our stars? Well, I think you're going to be missing your stars anyway in Open Cup, at least in the first couple of rounds. I think that the... I think teams sort of like to put their bench players out there with a mixture of some younger guys uh, from the, the from the reserve side, and they try to get a couple quick results. And then as they get deeper into the tournament, they start to use their better players. I don't know if we'll see Kaká uh, even in the 18. I don't know that we'll see Spectre in the 18. Uh, Kyle Lahren certainly won't be because he's playing right now, I believe, as we record this uh, for the Canadian men's national team. Same with Will Johnson. They won't be back. They'll be, you know, even if they come back tomorrow, which is the day this drops, it'll be game day. So they won't be in the lineup. Uh, I don't see that happening. Uh, I think this team can do well in the in the cup because they have a good defense and 
it, it really is just going to come down to taking chances. You know, if they get opportunities to score, whether it's a Haji Berry or a Carlos Rivas, will they have the composure to put the ball in the net in a, in a knockout competition? Hopefully that will be the case. So it, it really is going to come down to that. I think maybe if, if Jason Christ plays a Giles Barnes up top, maybe somebody that, that can add some stability and, and composure in the attacking third, I think that might be uh, good. And, and I know I'm on record saying his MPG will never score for Orlando City. <laughs> <laughs> but if he does, it'll probably be an, an open, open cup. cup. <laughs> <laughs> well, there, there you have it. There's there's your answer, uh, uh, Mark. Is that uh, if if it happens, MPG is going to score in an open cup game. I you know I agree. I think uh, what you're going to see and what you always see in, in these types of uh, games is a mixture of of um, you know the young, the bench, and and you know somebody in there to provide some stability. So it's uh, that's what we're going to see. What are our chances? I think our chances are excellent. Jason Christ is a great coach. He's going to put the right people in. He's going to make the substitutions that he needs to try and win those games. As you mentioned earlier, it's something that he he believes in. And so, um, you know, we have just as good of a chance as anybody else out there. Yeah, and I think this team, if they get by Miami FC, I think that's as, as good a non-MLS team as they're going to see in this tournament. Right. So um, after that, you know, it's teams that we're a little more familiar with, and those teams are going to be fighting for points, and we may not get their best lineups either. So uh, I think against Miami, you're going to get probably their best shot. I don't think you're going to see that same thing against other MLS teams until you get deeper into the cup. So, and by then, you know, Jason Christ will be playing, you know, a first choice lineup in those games as well. So right. it'll all balance out. Uh, Dean asks, uh, with Alex Morgan coming back, uh, in July, uh, what will the prize formation look like since we have Marta? Uh, that's a good question. I think that the formation will look very similar to what it looks like now, but instead, uh, of, who we've been we've been putting Chioma, Bogagu, or uh, Jamia Fields in the middle of that three up top. Then it's going to be Alex Morgan in that three up top with probably Camilla on one side and uh, you know on the other side you're going to have Marta. So I think that that has shown to be a very uh, good you know support group for the striker. You know with with the two Brazilians on either side. Mm-hmm. So if you put a world class striker like Alex Morgan between them. Good things should happen. And then if you fall behind and you need to add additional attacking players, you can always move Camilla into the midfield and, and put uh, an Ubogagu, a Jasmine Spencer, a Fields, you know, pacier players, uh, you know, that get forward a lot. I think you can put them in there in that spot. Now, the I think the tough thing is you're probably going to see Jasmine Spencer on the bench a little more. But I think that's not a bad thing because I think she's a good bench player. I think she comes off and adds a lot of energy. Uh, absolutely and it's um and we've we've kind of you know said it joked about it a little bit of you know what it's going to be like when we actually have uh um you know both alex and marta out there but uh you know we weren't really joking uh, uh that along with uh the other you know players you know chairman and and uh everybody who's who's come along and, and become a team in alex's uh you know uh stint over in leon um it's going to it's just going to add to it um, so it, it, I'm looking forward to it. Um, like you said, there's so many pieces that we can interchange up there, depending on what's going on. It's, it's going to be, it's going to be fun to watch. All right. Is that any, is that all the questions? No, there was one more, which we can probably answer really quick. Okay. Chris asked, is pro always going to pro pro going to pro pro going to pro. All right, so there you go. Thanks so much for your questions, everyone. Uh, you can hit us up on Twitter 
with the uh, hashtag AskTMLPC, or you can uh, email your questions to us at, uh, at themainland at gmail.com, and you can use that hashtag as your uh, as your subject line so that we know that it's a question. So uh, thanks so much to everybody. There were a lot of them, and hopefully we'll continue to get uh, some good questions like that. Uh, Dave, before we get out of here, we would certainly be remiss if we didn't talk about uh, the two upcoming games for Orlando City Soccer Club. First up, U.S. Open Cup. We talked earlier to Brad Russin, uh, former uh, Lion, and now he is uh, a, um, a center back on the on the Miami FC, and he has sort of been bothered by injuries and kind of lost his starting spot after uh, after an injury last season that kept him out for a while. Uh, but this is a good team. They lead the NASL in goals scored. They have allowed the fewest. They have a 5-0-1 road record. Uh, so they have not tasted defeat on the road in this spring season. Uh, they're 2-0 in the U.S. Open Cup. They did struggle a little bit with uh, the South Florida surf, but I'm not sure how really how seriously they took that match. Uh, they did beat a very good Tampa Bay Rowdies team 2-0 in the, in the last round. Uh, so... Uh, it's going to be interesting. We've we've touched on it a little bit throughout the night, throughout this uh, broadcast. It's night when we record it. it. Might not be night when you're listening to it. Um, but it, it all comes down to what is Jason Christ going to do, and we don't know. We we have heard him say that he's going to uh, lean a little bit more on the on the MLS players. He's taken this uh, seriously and given this competition some respect, and. I still think, you know, obviously there's going to be some guys out. You're going to need to make up for those numbers. Now, with the team not being terribly deep at striker, that bodes well for Haji Berry getting a look. But also the team could just change shape and have one striker up top. Uh, there's a lot of things that could happen. Now, the, I think if you're looking for something most likely to happen, I'm thinking that you're going to probably see, if not for this game, but assuming they get by for the next game, Sometime in the next two Open Cup games, you're going to see Haji Berry, you're going to see Richie Larea, you're going to see Pierre Da Silva, at least in the 18, if not starting. Uh, I think it's safe to say that. I think you're going to see Luis Gill in the lineup. Uh, I think you're going to see Servando Carrasco. He's not been getting a lot of minutes. You're going to see him in the lineup. Uh, obviously, the you can't go wrong either way at left back. I think Toya gives you a guy who's not uh, an international. Uh, I don't. I don't believe I'm not sure if Ramos has his green card or not. So either way, uh, you, you I mean you could have Ramos probably on the right side because you're not going to have Scott Sutter out there. Uh, he's one of the players that's going to be a veteran that gets a, a, a breather. Mm -hmm. um, so I think you could see you could even see Kevin Alston right back, but I think you're probably going to see Ramos, especially since he got his night cut short uh, against Chicago with the with the bogus red card. Uh, but on that left side, you could either go Toya or PC, and I think either way you're in pretty good shape uh, for a U.S. Open Cup game. Uh, in the center, we talked about potentially a, a Redding-Hines uh, duo. You could have uh, Redding uh, paired with Leo Pereira, you know, and spend one of your international slots in, at center back. Um, there's a lot of ways you can go, but I do expect Giles Barnes uh, to be in the lineup at least in the 18. I do believe that MPG will either start or be in the 18. So uh, you're going to see a couple veterans and uh, probably not as many OCB guys as you thought. Uh, some people have speculated maybe maybe Josh Saunders stays with OCB for the time being and Earl Edwards gets a look. Uh, but I think Josh Saunders will be in the lineup. You know, what's funny is 
<laughs> when you started that, I think it was like four minutes ago when you started all the possibilities that could, could happen. <laughs> you know, and yeah. it just, you know, like we were saying, you know, we have no idea who's coming up, who's going to stay, who's going to do it. I mean, okay, we have some ideas, you know, we, you know, we know the, the good possibilities of people who are going to be out and, mm-hmm. you know, people who are going to be in, you know, you know, Reading, obviously. Uh, but the the point being is that um, until until that lineup drops tomorrow, the, there's a ton of questions. And and like I said earlier, I'm I'm highly anticipating just seeing what the heck's going to happen because it's going to you know it's it's almost going to be news just because we have no idea. Um, yeah. You know the thing for me about tomorrow, uh, you know, is and especially after talking to Brad, I mean, Miami FC don't look past them. They are on a hot streak. Uh, winner of two, unbeaten in 10 NASL games. Um, they took out the Rowdies 2-0. Um, you know, they're, they're a good, good team. Um, uh, you know, do I think we're going to win the game? Yeah, I think we're going to win the game. But, um, you know, it's... It's not. It's it's not like you know we're going up against some slouch team. I mean, these guys are the best of the NESL. So, it's... Um, it, it's it's a challenge, and like like you said just a couple minutes ago, if we can get past uh, Miami, then you know that that bodes well, you know, going forward into the next round. Um, you know, I'd love to see Seb play. All right, brass tacks. Uh, it's very difficult for a game like this, but your your key matchup and your your score prediction. Hoy. <laughs> well, my score prediction is easier than my key matchups. Um, my score prediction. Uh, I'm going to say two one. We're we're at we're in the Purple Palace. It's the first time um, you know Miami's going to come there. I think that the supporters are going to show up and they're going to they're going to make the difference. Um, as f- key matchups, uh, God, that's so hard because we don't know who's going to be out there. I think it's I think it's going to come down to uh, it's going to come down to scoring. So um, mm-hmm. who's who's up top? Um, you know, do we have Barnes up there? Uh, you know, where is MPG? Um, is Haji? Once again, we give. I just don't since I don't know who's yeah. going to be on the field. It's incredibly hard. But I'll just put it this way: it's going to be uh, our our strikers and the and the and the top of the uh, the top of the midfield. All right. Well, I'm I've got a definite uh, key matchup, and that is. Uh, whether it's Servando Carrasco or whoever, uh, no Torino, whoever plays defensive midfield has to limit uh, what Quadwo Poku does in the middle of the field because he's a name you might remember from New York City FC, a big, strong, pacey guy who is, you know, creative in the attack. He can hold on to the ball through contact. Uh, he can pass the ball very well, and he is a focal point of Miami's offense. Uh, I think you got to control Poku, so I think that's my key matchup. Uh, Poku against the defensive midfield of Orlando City, whether it's one or two players. And uh, again, we, they might they might take a more defensive shape in this game than what we've seen uh, in other games, just because the strength of the te- of the reserves, the strength of the bench, is in the defensive midfield. So uh, you might uh, you might see something like that. So, but again, it's all speculation. Uh, I also think it feels like about a two-one game. I think Miami's got a good offense, so I think they might uh, sneak a goal um, out of this, you know, matchup. And uh, it's going to be hard to keep them off the board completely. Um, but I think um, you know Orlando City might be able to score two and, and overcome that. And I think one of them uh, should Giles Barnes be in the lineup. I think Giles Barnes gets a clean goal. Uh, in this game. Okay. 
So there you go. Uh, we'll see what happens. It'll all shake out uh, while I'm on a flight to Vegas, and uh, then I'll have to find out what happened uh, when I land, unless I can, you know, unless there's good Wi-Fi on the plane and I can get a score. Um, so Saturday, Montreal Impact comes to town. It's the third of a three-game homestand, four if you count the U.S. Open Cup match. Um, Dave, you, you have any thoughts on your uh, key matchups and uh, score prediction for that one? All right. Um, Ali, very similar to um, uh, my uh, Open Cup. Um, Montreal, uh, they're sitting down eighth or ninth. I can't remember exactly. Um, they're they're not a bad team. Uh, I'm not saying that, but um, I do think that that's why I think that uh, you know offensive production on Orlando City's part. If we can if we can get that moving, that's that's going to make the difference. Uh, I think that our our defense is going to be able to hold up. Um, so what I want to see is I want to see goal scoring. Uh, so that's that's where I'm at, and I think I think we're going to get it. Um, and I'm 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 going to say. Last home game before we hit the road again. Uh, Lions are motivated. Uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and say two nothing in that game. Okay, uh, Montreal for me has been playing better of late. They uh, they're a team that's that's got talent. They played uh, again, like I said, they're they're starting to round into a little bit better form, which scares me. Uh, anytime a team's got Piatti on an Odoro, that scares me a little bit. I think uh, having Oyango out is going to hurt them a bit, uh, but it remains to be seen how much it'll hurt them. Um, I think that that's that feels to me like another 2-1 game, okay. maybe for Orlando City. I, th- I think that either Piatti or Oduro, who Oduro has really tortured us in the past, uh, will find a way to score a goal. Uh, but I think this is one of those games where maybe Orlando City gets the last goal, uh, maybe even in stoppage time, like a late heroic thing. I, I think that we need to pay Montreal back for the the final game last year when Orlando City was chasing them in the in the playoff run, and they came in and had absolutely no desire to get forward whatsoever and uh, parked the bus completely and just absorbed a ton of pressure throughout yeah. that game. And they hit us on the counter one time and won one nil uh, because Luke Bowden uh, was a little slow to step and kept the guy on side. So um, it was unfortunate, but... Um, you know, we needed that game. I think this, they need to get a little bit of payback for that. Absolutely. They deserve it. <laughs> so do we. All right. So there you have it. Uh, it's a major, uh, major podcast. It's a supersized podcast. We had a lot to talk about, a lot to get to. And uh, I, did, I did want to give a programming note. I don't believe we're going to have a podcast before the Seattle game, but I don't want to tack another uh key matchup and prediction onto this one uh just because it's already running really long uh so i think uh, i just want to just say that we'll probably get a little bit uh, later in the week next week probably after the seattle game happens uh in the midweek um so next week's podcast is going to be a little later in the week and we'll have a little more to talk about but um that's okay because we'll have uh we'll have tons to do because i just don't think that while i'm on the road i'm going to be able to uh swing recording the podcast i think uh my my laptop that I'm taking with me is fairly new and I don't have everything on it that I need and I'm not going to be spending, you know, staying up all night tonight to do that since I'm leaving tomorrow. So um, I think uh, we will 
we will just not try to rush it and uh and and just try to do a better job with it when i get back so uh dave we will uh see what we see with the u.s open cup we'll see what we see on the weekend with orlando city and montreal and of course the pride uh visiting houston and uh, orlando city b we'll have two games before we talk again uh, both in Canada and then, of course, uh, after we talk again, they're going to be at Rochester. So a, a pretty tough stretch for Anthony Pulis's boys, uh, but a lot going on in this month of June. There is. And, uh, you know, as much as you and I uh, uh, look at these podcasts and, and, and we look at the list of things that we've got to cover and we're kind of like, oh, my goodness, it just means that there's a lot of soccer. And that's always a good thing. Always a good thing. I just don't like going away during the uh during the season because when I don't get to watch the games, it's, it's been kind of a nightmare. Uh, I last, I think the last time I didn't get to see a game was the four, one loss to Columbus last year on home on our home field. So listen, uh, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. So you just, you just keep, you just keep that stuff there and, and let us worry about that. You just keep that, that bad mojo in Vegas. What stays, what happens <laughs> in Vegas stays in Vegas. Keep the bad mojo there. We'll take care of the rest. Uh, my mother-in-law stays in Vegas, so she happened in Vegas, and she stays in Vegas, and that's why I have to go out there to see her. So, uh, yeah, it's a family thing. I don't get to do a whole lot of fun stuff, but hopefully I'll get to hit a brewery while I'm out there or something So, because uh, I don't, I, I like to go get some craft beers, and uh, I will try to do that. But anyway, uh, that's going to do it for a super-sized edition of the Mainland Podcast. That'll do it for episode number 90. It's kind of a milestone. It's about 10 shy of a real milestone. Uh, we want to thank Brad Russin of Miami FC, Forever a Lion, hashtag Forever a Lion, for stopping by and, uh, and visiting with us tonight. And uh, on behalf of David Rowe, please uh, visit us on Twitter. We're at The Mainland. Like us on Facebook. Read what we do at themainland.com. And uh, please give us your honest uh, listener ratings on iTunes and, uh, and leave us a review. That'd be really appreciated. And... Uh, so we will see you next week. We'll be back to break it all down a little bit later in the week, next week than usual. But on behalf of David Rowe, I am Michael Citro signing off the way I always do by saying, Go City! <laughs>